The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 113 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Zandrick Ellison. Zan, how are you on this fine Tuesday morning? Good, I'm a little nervous because... By the time people hear this, Milwaukee might have played game five. They might be eliminated. Giannis might have been traded already for Andrew Wiggins. Who knows? Um, and then my brother, Dondrick, will be crowing for the next year and a half about how he thought Milwaukee would lose at this point. I don't know. I have no idea. If Gian- is, have you heard if Giannis is playing? We don't he know that information. questionable. It sounded like he wanted – it sounded like after game three – they did not think he was going to be able to play game four. He taped it up. He actually was playing decently well, and then he tweaked the same injury. And so I would assume the Bucks feel like he is not going to play Tuesday night, which is tonight. We're recording now, so uh, – recording Tuesday morning, so. But I don't know, man. He's going to try to play for sure, but whether he's effective or I, – I don't think he's going to play. That's my theory. And, again, like this could look really dumb in an hour when he, they announce he's playing, but I just figure – There's no way There's no way this gets announced before the game. There's right. no chance because he, he, they're going to let him warm up and see how it looks. But if he has a true high ankle sprain, like how, how can he possibly play? Well, I, if I was the Bucks, I would think this way. A hobbled Giannis, we weren't winning games with a hobbled Giannis, you know, like, so we'd have to win three in a row. So there's a risk there. And then the risk would be he gets injured again, or also just from like a PR perspective, like it looks bad for Giannis to play and then lose. And there's all these questions about, you know, what are they going to do? If, if he doesn't play and they lose, you have a built-in excuse. Like, hey, we weren't a hundred percent. They went down 3-0 with Giannis but playing. He, but so. you could say that, oh, he was really, you know, 60%. We would have been better. Well, Vegas is expecting Giannis to not play would be my assumption. On Bovada Sportsbook, the Heat are four-point faves. And I don't, even with how the Bucks have looked, I don't think the Heat would be favorites if they assumed that Giannis was playing. I, I think it'd be a pick or maybe like Bucks minus one. But because the Bucks looked – we should go, talk about game four a little bit. Chris Middleton, like, just an unbelievable performance down the stretch to just kind of keep him in the game. And then in overtime, he hits the dagger with, like, six seconds left to go up four. Dante DiVincenzo, one or two free throws and a regulation to send it to overtime. Real nice play by him when it looked like the Bucks were just kind of, like, crumbling on the last possession. And he pump fake drives it to the rim and gets fouled. But I don't know. Schematically, it looked like the Bucks were up bit better like it looked like they started to switch a little bit more they weren't just getting like beat off the dribble over and over and over again and giving up open threes and they found a way to win when it, it really looked pretty dire for them i'm not quite ready for the like the bucks are better without Giannis takes no as, i don't i don't think so either. especially think- defensively but it made bud do some different stuff defensively which i think is important and maybe if they do get Giannis back and they decide to kind of do what they did in the second half on the defensive side of the ball, maybe they maybe they are in a good position, as as good of a position as you can be down three one, obviously. 
Yeah, it scares me. I mean, if Giannis was 100%, it would be a different story. I think I'm, I don't know if I'd pick him to win three in a row, but it's hard to do so. It's never yeah. happened before. And it's not like, you know, if it did happen, it would be probably some like turning point. Like, you know, last year, maybe like the Warriors would be down 3 0 and Durant comes back and then they win four. Like, it's some reason that you would expect somebody team to rattle off four wins. Like, it's the opposite here. Like, their stars are breaking down. Um, I think they have they have a shot. It's it's weird though, you know. It's like that one close game they lost, one close game they won. I think it's more of an even series. Yeah. People think it's this just is, a matter of like you're down, so it's really hard not to lose again. We talked about game two and how one of the, like and and the Bucks obviously like Miami played them totally even. It was an even game, and the Bucks got a hilarious call at the end of the game to win, and then the Bucks just melted down in the fourth quarter of game three. So two things go differently. It, it could have easily been 2-1 Milwaukee yesterday. This has not been a series where, like, the Bucks have been blown out. I think Milwaukee has been not as good as people expected, and I think Miami's been a bit more fortunate. And while has played quite well, especially, you know, with Bud not making a ton of adjustments early in the series, which is something that we've come to see from him throughout his career as a head coach. It's interesting. I mean, they were, they I were think pl- that's a good point, though, not to interview you, that – I do take the the blowout wins more seriously than like the one point game. And then the ref gave him a, you know, whatever it is at the end of the game or one shot goes in. Um, same with betting, by the way, if I'm on like Bovada or whatever, and I win a bet by like one point, it's not like I crow about that. Like that was like a very lucky break. If, if you picked a team, you know, and then they won by 20, then you're like, Oh my God, I really had a read on that one. I, I have a very close friend who is a, a very frequent sports better. And he's not a huge NBA guy like he watches, but he just watches kind of like to bet on the game. And he frequently like will hit me up. But I, I always tell him like in the playoffs, I think things run super close. And so like I, I prefer to be more of like a series bet guy than a, a specific game, especially now when guys are tired. It seems like it, it's hard to say, but he had the Lakers on uh, Sunday night. <laughs> And obviously, like you're feeling really good in the second quarter, Rockets go nuts, and then at the end of the game, I, I think the spread closed. It it was either six or five and a half. It, it was different at, at specific places, but I think he had it at, at five and a half. And at the end of the game, like he just texted me, like in all caps, like five times in a row, easy cover. And it's just like, how, it, it, and he was obviously trolling, but it is funny, like you said, Zan. Like you, you get in a situation where like things just are so kind of discombobulated like if you had the bucks on sunday like how could you have ever felt good about the game because like a bunch of people were like oh man like there's no way the bucks get swept but then like Giannis goes out after playing like 20 minutes and then like you're just sitting there and you have the bucks minus one like you've got to be sweating the entire game there's no way you could feel comfortable like yeah i had a read i knew they weren't gonna get swept there's just no chance like our friend our friend coop who's like the biggest sports gambler i know you know he's a friend of a friend really and he bets tons and kind of wildly and then brags about it. And so he had in round one for the series, he bet Denver minus like 200 or whatever it was and won, you know, but you really shouldn't be proud of that bet. Like that he, was about as close as a win as you can get. Did he ship uh, any money to Jamal Murray? Because <laughs> like, this is, this is crazy. And I do want to talk about Clippers nuggets. Cause that series has ended up being quite interesting after game one was a real snoozer, but it's like, there's just no I, I think honestly I do think as you see teams figure it out like there are things you can take and you can watch and it does feel like the Clippers are a little bit more focused than they've been Paul George has been a lot better down the stretch I did see a nice interesting thing about how Paul George is like averaging 25 points a game and since he shut his Instagram comments off which is like I mean we really are that starved for content but 
as same with the Lakers too, which I do. We'll talk a little bit more in depth about that. But the one thing, like I said, with the Bucks is it, it did feel like in Game Four that they felt much better in the second half defensively, and and they weren't just getting giving up tons of open threes. Like Duncan Robinson's going to make threes, right? Like Tyler Hero's going to make some threes. Like that's that's going to happen, and I think we need to expect it. But like they held the Heat. I mean, the Heat shot seventeen for forty-seven, but. Jay Crowder shot six for 12 and he's questionable for the game tonight. So I, I just don't know that like, I feel super confident about Miami's ability to shoot 45% from three. Yeah. I, I just think the Bucks have done right. a good job. And I think, and, and if, I guess if you're saying you're an optimist, like what's the difference turning the tide, you could say, Hey, Bledsoe missed what one or two games. I forgot just the first game. He missed game two. And game one. yeah. And so like, look, he's not a superstar, but you know, when you, you have like a B minus supporting cast or whatever it is, that helps. Um, and same with the Clippers. That's one reason I'm high on the Clippers. Like I think getting Beverly back, you know, even if he's their fifth best player, like that helps. Um, and so I, but I don't know. I mean, like what happens here? Like, let's just take the dark road that Giannis doesn't play. Miami wins by like four, Mike you know, close game, but they lose. Mike Bunhoser gets fired. I don't, I mean, so, unless like, so you remember when Jason Kidd got fired and like Giannis, like when he found out it happened, like he really liked Jason Kidd and he like went to Jason Kidd and was like, I'll talk to the owners for you or whatever. And this was obviously a little bit before Giannis became you know, the guy that we know him as today, back to back MVP likely. But like, I just don't know with the Bucks. It's quite an interesting roster, right? So Middleton is very clearly a, a great, I would say like, he's a really, really good player. Like one of the 20 ish. Yeah. yeah. Like Middleton's really good. But, like, you have this Bledsoe contract that doesn't seem super great. And then they also have, you know, like, the Bucks are relatively old, right? Like, so yeah. outside of Giannis and, I guess, Middleton's 28, everyone else that plays, like, major minutes from them, excluding, you know, Dante DiVincenzo's 23. But every other person, Connington's 27. Eric Bledsoe, 30. Robin Lopez and Brooke Lopez, 31. Marvin Williams is 33. They're only 31? Who? Brooke Lopez is 31? Yeah, they're... Uh, I would have guessed like 34 or They've been around a long time. Kyle Korver, 38. Wes Matthews, 33. So of their, you know, four of their... I guess like five of their rotation guys are 31 or over and have played tons of years in the NBA, right? Because to your point with the Lopez twins, like they're in year 11 right now. So this Bucks team, I don't know that like there's a super easy path to getting better than you are right now and other than like Giannis just becomes a good shooter and that seems highly unlikely to happen and that it's not because like he can't do it well, he, yeah he's not a, you know I I kind of bristle at the idea that he's like he's not Ben Simmons I mean he shot like 30 no. percent from three on like four attempts like he's more of like a Russell Westbrook shooter which is like he'll hit an open shot once yeah. in a while like there was this big like he, he like video going it. around showing like how many bad shots they took and they were all like Giannis shooting open threes I'm like Look, I mean, you got to take them once in a while, and he, he hits them once in a while. I, I don't think that's, like, dooming them. Yeah, I mean, he was one for one from three in game four, but I, I know he took, like, five threes or something in game or in uh, game three, which people weren't super excited about. But I just think that, like, I, I've said before, it, the, the Bledsoe contract never made any sense to me, just in terms of the well, timing. Well, you know, it's not as big as you think. It's only, like, $18 million, which is a lot, but it's not like a Tobias Harris contract. No, but at the same time, too, like – the opportunity cost of signing Bledsoe and using that money cost them Brogdon, who we don't know if he would switch the series or, or flip the series, but it gives him another creator. It gives him another guy to make shots. And like, not that Bledsoe has been 
particularly bad in this series because he is important to them defensively. But when they've been pretty bad defensively, what really does Eric Bledsoe do for you? You're, you're talking about a guy averaging 13 points a game on, I think he's averaging like 39, 20, 80 and playing 34 minutes a game. And he's not a big time assist guy, really. Like, I, I just don't understand if you're looking at Eric Bledsoe's capabilities for them it, it feels like he's the weakest link in their rotation other than i mean like Giannis has just not been tremendous no, right you're, like, you're right it's like a built to win now team it's going to get worse because bledsoe is under contract for three more years brooke lopez who allegedly is 31 i don't buy that one he's under contract for three more years george hill has two more age. years i think Brooke Lopez is going to age pretty well. And he's going to age fine. I thought he's he had already. I thought he did age fine. <laughs> <laughs> like he's already there. Um, do you know the Bucks are all are still paying John Luer? I guess they stretched him. John Luer and Larry Sanders are and both Larry still Sanders, getting paid. Yeah, I knew that. And I mean, Spencer Hawes. Spencer, Spencer Hawes isn't on the team still, is he? No, Spencer Hawes has not played in the NBA for so years. He must have been I'll tell you what, though, too. if you are a Peloton rider, you should follow Spencer Hawes because that guy is big time in the Peloton. He posts oh, really? his every day. Funny. Oh yeah. But was he a huge like conservative though? He was, yeah, he was. I don't, I don't know where he stands now. I think he is. I think he's anti-Trump at this point. But he oh, is, is a big he? like he's like a he's like a grand old party like uh, <laughs> apologist, right? So like he's an old school GOP guy. He doesn't like the new school GOP. But I don't know. I, I, I just, uh, I told you about the time that I went. I was in Atlanta for the Final Four, and the Sixers were playing the Hawks. Like one of the, day, I can't remember what day, but I went to. Friedman shoes with Spencer Hawes and LaVoy Allen and uh, Spencer Hawes offered to buy me shoes and it was the first time he'd ever met me it was nice I, I like Spencer Hawes I can excuse his vote for Mitt Romney because I like Spencer Hawes but uh let's talk about the heat for a second we we've yes. been critical of the Bucks, right so we've been very critical of the Bucks. but like what's the heat ceiling like can they, I know, you they know, can absolutely win the east right can they can they defensively yeah. they match up pretty well with anyone they would really play in the west as well like, well, I, I just think it's more of like, I think that like the heat hype has gotten a little too far high hyped. I don't know whatever the word is, because it's not a great team. I mean, it's a very good team. They're good. And like and they started, really remember, they started really hot this year and then they cooled off. I think I just looked up, they finished the regular season 10 and 14. So it's not like a, you know, juggernaut coming into the playoffs. They have the second best odds right now on Bovada to win the NBA title. Why don't you take a guess what they are? <laughs> has to be plus they have the second best overall sorry, the, the second best in the east oh, okay me. i'm sorry so i would say it's plus 600 i don't know yeah plus 500 which is god milwaukee at plus 4000 is pretty interesting that it's just like you'd just be kind of throwing money away because it seems so unlikely that they'll win the series especially with Giannis hurt but like if they were to find a way to win tonight with Giannis injured it was three two there's a lot of pressure on the heat like that plus 4,000 number is pretty good, I think, if we're talking value. But anyway. But yeah, because yeah, I was saying like the Heat are like a, I don't know, A minus team, B plus team. And so I, I would say that's not good enough to win the title. But I don't know. It seems like a more parity this year than we thought. And maybe it's the bubble and the no home court advantage. Although I read somewhere it's it's about one point advantage so far. Yeah, except in the second round after after last night's or after Monday night's games with both Boston and the Clippers winning what are technically road games, like fake home teams in the bubble are three and eleven in the second round. Oh man, um, yeah. So maybe that's part of it, uh, and also they just they don't have any real injuries. They're playing small, you know, Bam at the five more, which is smart. God, he's so good. 
Um, Jay Crowder has been good. I mean, I, I, you know, for them, I, I don't really like Jay Crowder, but you know, he, he as a fifth guy, he is. They haven't been. They haven't been playing Iguodala too much, which was my fear for them. Did you know that uh, Jay Crowder is shooting in this this Buck series? He's eighteen for forty two from three. Like, I mean, that's one of the biggest things in the series that's kind of like shifted it is that Jay Crowder has made open shots and he's been the guy that they've left open. And I think he's also super physical. Like he, he's not Marcus Smart in, in sense of like physicality, but the way that he guards, like he is, he just like leans on you. Like Jay Crowder is just a a good NBA player, right? Like he's. Well, I would have said he's not, but you know, what's interesting is like, cause he had been, I thought overhyped since Boston like most players in Boston are, because he hadn't been shooting that well. He hadn't been playing that good of defense. And so when somebody's hot like this, you like, my first reaction is, oh, it's a fluke. But then you, you try to figure out why might he be playing better? And he, not to be Johnny Box score, but he's just playing a lot more like small ball and playing at the power yeah. forward more. And like that just suits him more. Yeah, it's a, better, it's a better spot for him. Like that heat lineup with like, if you just use like the six guys and even Kelly Olenek has played well in the minutes that he's played, I don't know if he's going to play tonight. I, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but like if you just look at the heat, with like Duncan Robinson, hero Crowder, Bam, Gorin and Jimmy Butler, like that is a very difficult lineup. That's obviously six <laughs> guys, but like if you switch guys out, like that's a really difficult lineup to guard, especially with now that more teams, I mean like Spo has obviously seen last year that the Sixers let Jimmy Butler handle the ball a lot more. So like, Jimmy gets the ball in a lot more pick and roll. And again, like I said, that was why I thought the Bucks like, you just couldn't have Giannis be like a free safety because yes, he protects the rim great, but like only Jimmy is like driving to try to score. Every other heat player is like driving it into the paint and trying to kick it out to find Duncan Robinson, find Tyler Hero. Find, even Drogic has shot it really well from three because they've had a ton of open shots. Like that's just yeah. kind of Dra- how Drogic has been really strong. And, and he kind of reminds me like, you'll see like Knicks fans being like, you know, maybe Frank Nicolatina is going to be a starter, average starter. I'm like, the bar at point guard is so high. Like, yeah, Dragic, Dragic is, is, like, a fringe starter, and he's really good. Like, Dragic isn't even, like, considered, like, one of the 10 best point guards. And then, like, you watch him play, and you watch him in the playoffs, and, like, nobody keeps him in front. Like, he's in the paint at will. It's, like, crazy. Dragic is really good. Like, you're good. I, it'll be interesting to see. The other series, but would you Boston. say, like, not to jump ahead, because Boston, Toronto, I don't know how much time you want to spend on it, because this just sort of feels like an even-ish series. Yeah. But do you think Miami's the best team in the East right now? I mean, presuming they knock off Milwaukee. Oh, man, Boston's really good, and Stevens and Spolster would be a really fun matchup to watch. Like, assuming – so Gordon Hayward is back in the bubble now. We talked about this last show. Gordon Hayward's back in the bubble, so they're expecting Gordon Hayward to play at some point. We don't know how effective he will be. We don't know how much they'll push him, right? So I think I like Miami slightly more at full strength. If I knew that Gordon Hayward was going to come back and I knew that Gordon Hayward, and this is even saying that Toronto doesn't just turn around and win two in a row, but they just got blasted on Monday night like it was never a close game. So I don't know how they necessarily come back and win two straight after that. I wouldn't say that series is definitely over. Toronto is very good and they'll make shots, but like, it seems like Boston is a bit better than them at this point in time. But I would say I like Miami a little bit better because I do think, yeah, they have guys to guard, you know, like Jimmy Butler, but like Bam is just such a difference maker in terms of how he allows you to guard on the perimeter. And so, yeah, they'll put Marcus Smart on like Duncan Robinson and they'll, they'll, 
you know, they'll make it really difficult. Tatum and Jalen Brown will probably make it very difficult on Jimmy Butler. But, like, can Kemba guard Goran Dragic? Like, is Jay Crowder – are they going to go big, too? Like, is Jay Crowder going to get those minutes at the four? I don't know. I hope so, right? I hope that's what they do. But it just seems like with Bam, like, you're, you're able to just be so malleable defensively. And I think, like, that's a, a thing with the Celtics is if you can switch a lot and make it really hard for them to get the ISO matchups they want, then – you know, maybe Miami's slightly better, but I will say this, like Kemba has been much better the last, like, it, it feels like we're finally remembering that Kemba Walker is like on the Celtics and a max contract guy, right? Because he's been really good in games four and five. And if Kemba's going to come back and be a 25 point per game scorer down the stretch with Jason Tatum, like Boston is very scary and felt like maybe they were kind of like lying in the weeds, right? Because yeah. they just beat they just beat the absolute crap out of Toronto on Monday night. Like it just wasn't. Yeah, even I think that's more of like the story is like Toronto, and, and I don't know how you felt as a coach. So after the game, you know their offense has these lulls, you know, especially yeah. like when Siakam's like not doing much or you know not playing efficiently, and so Nick Nurse after the game calls him out and says, "I don't know why he's not playing well <laughs> since they came back from the bubble." Really threw him under the bus. I mean, if you're a coach, do you think that was appropriate? Did you read it as that? Like that he was like... Yeah, I thought... I thought you he, thought he was you know, throwing him under the bus? Well, maybe he's trying to motivate him. I don't know why he I, wouldn't say that behind I the didn't scene. think he was saying like Siakam didn't do anything except for like eat wings and drink beer during the restart, right? Like I don't think he was saying that. I do think he was saying like, you kind of got to figure out what's going on with him. I thought it was trying to be some level of motivation. Like I didn't take it as kind of like nefarious where like he was, cause some coaches are very chippy. Like that's not really, to me, that's not really Nick nurse's personality, but like Siakam, you know, Toronto, it's, it's weird. Obviously like they had Danny green and Kawhi Leonard last year and just having Kawhi who can just get a shot kind of, you know, pretty much 90% of the time and take up most of the defenses kind of like mindset is really important, but like the Toronto issue is like, they have nobody really that can break you down. Right. right. So they do take a lot of threes, which is good. And, and Van Vliet and Kyle are, are very good guards, but like, it does seem like when they need buckets, it's such a struggle sometimes if they're not making shots early and it's just not a team to really come back because like, even though they are good defensively, like they don't have a guy that can just get you back in a game. Right. And it seems very unlikely that they would play kind of like how Houston got back into it on Sunday night. Like, they don't have a guy that can just get you into the paint and like just suck the defense in really. Cause like, it's so hard for Kyle and, and Fred Van Vliet to guard the way that they do and also have to like really pick up the offensive intensity. And I think at the end of the day, when I look at this Raptors Celtics series, I think I underestimated how the Celtics length would bother the Raptors. Cause those two guards are so important and you can put like, yeah, Kemba's in the game, but then you can put Marcus Smart on him. You can put Jalen Brown on him. You can put Jason Tatum on him. You can put Semi Ojale on him. Like you can make it very difficult for these guys to come off pick and rolls and have passing lanes and have driving lanes. And I think, I don't think I I thought about that as much as I should have, because it's it's been very difficult, I think, for the Raptors to sustain a high level of play against Boston. And some of that's definitely fatigue and some of that's Boston scheme, but also like, I just think Boston, they're, they're not as deep, but they're definitely their top end talent is better. Like, and I think that that's one thing that I just maybe didn't consider with this series is that Boston's best players are just better than Toronto's best players. Well, and it's like, you know, you see all this heat on Giannis. Like, oh, in the playoffs, you can build a wall and stop Giannis. Um, Helms deep style. <laughs> um, and Great, great final yeah, 45 hungry. minutes of a movie. Amazing. I know, I'm rewatching it right now, as I've mentioned numerous times. 
it takes us about, we'll be rewatching it for the next week and a half probably. Um, but is Siakam just like a baby version of that? Like, I don't think if you're focused on Siakam in the half court, he doesn't really scare me. Like, I mean, what's he going to do? You what's know, like spin around, and like shoot like a off balance shot. In yeah. The end, it, you know, it, he's so good as like that garbage man last year. It's weird. Focusing on Kawhi, but I don't know. It, it just feels like they haven't gotten as many transition looks. Obviously, their defense is definitely uh, – their defense is good, but it's – you know, you get rid of – like Kawhi leaves and Danny Green leaves, like you're going to be a worse defensive team. That's just how it works. Marcus Gasol is very clearly in his decline years, if you will, because yeah. he has certainly not been as good this year as he was last year, and he was very, very good down the stretch last year, very good against Milwaukee, and he's not been that good. Ibaka, the same reason. Toronto's in an interesting situation, and I know – that Giannis is, we're hearing all these rumors, like Giannis wants to go to Golden State. Well, Giannis and Masai are friends. Like they're going to, he's going to go to Toronto. Like Giannis, Mark yeah, Cuban's that, getting Giannis. They said like Miami and Toronto were the two favorites, which is, if you're Milwaukee, it's not a good sign, even if they're BS, like fake news, like that there's even reports out there of his preferred let's, destination. Let's, here's, I, I will plant my flag in the ground on this right now. If the Bucks fire Mike Budenholzer, there is a 0% chance they trade Giannis. Like, there's just no way. Like, you're not trading back to back, the back-to-back MVP with an older team if you think, like, okay, we can just upgrade the coaching a little bit in the playoffs and well, then we'll yeah, be able to win the title. Like, they're not doing that. They're just not trading him. So all these, like, like you made the – I think it was a joke, although I've seen it rumored, like the Giannis for Andrew Wiggins thing. Like, if the Bucks trade Giannis Antetokounmpo, they're rebuilding. It's it's a good team without him. Like Chris Middleton's a good player, but like they're they're just you're not a title contender anymore, and you still at least have one more year where you're a title contender if you hold on to Giannis. Now, if he says I'm not playing and I'm not resigning, like if he does the Kawhi Leonard thing, then yeah, sure, trade him. But like he's not going to do that. Like that's not his personality. That's what I'm saying. He's going to try to play Tuesday night. He he is that type of player. Like he, they may have to hold him out. Honestly. Well, I want to go back to one thing you said that you thought Bud will get fired. I'd be very surprised by that. Just because it's like, maybe Giannis doesn't like Bud. I don't know. You don't like Bud in the in the right playoffs. You know, he hasn't done well. But he's been there two years. They've had two number one seeds. He's one coach of the year. He's finished second coach of the year. And it's about as good of a coaching job outside of the playoffs as you can do. And you can say, oh, you know, they need to get better in the playoffs. But to me... That would almost like scare Giannis more. It's like we just fired the coach of the you, year. Like, what kind of instability do we man, have in this? Do you think they're not going to talk to him about this? Like, he's the franchise. No. <laughs> they're certainly going to talk to him about it. Here, here's what I'll say. And do you think this, they'll rehire Jason Kidd, his buddy? No, I definitely don't think they'll do that. I think there's some chance that they hire Taylor Jenkins. I, I, I would say that, like, eh, kind of joking around, just because you always make jokes about him, but like. He won't leave Memphis, I don't think. But, like, I think there's some chance that, like, we want a guy that... Or maybe Darvin Ham. People like Darvin Ham. I don't know if they just um, promote off Bud's staff. Because Darvin Ham's been... And just like Taylor Jenkins was, too. Like, those guys have been Bud assistants for their whole career. Here's what I'll say about Mike Budholzer. I think he's done a bad job. This I think it's two years in a row that he's done a bad job. I think we've seen him do a poor job in the playoffs with the Hawks. Although he that team overachieved and they played really well in the regular season. And then he obviously has had the one seed the last two years in the East. I thought the Bucks were good enough last year. Toronto was very good and Nick Nurse was better than him. This year, I don't think Miami is better than them. I think Miami is a bad matchup for them, for sure. I've said that multiple times on this show. You can re-listen to episodes from months ago where I said I thought Miami was a really bad matchup for the Bucks. 
thought they'd figure it out. My thing with you fire Mike Budenholzer, Zan, is that you've got to try to figure out like, okay, can we be better? Is there somebody who can do a better job? Holistically speaking, because this team is going to make the playoffs, no matter who you and I could be coaching the team and the team would make the playoffs. So can somebody do a better job than Mike Budenholzer? And what are the issues? Like, is Bud too hung up on the sports science thing where like he thinks Giannis's point of diminishing return is 36 minutes? Like, maybe, I don't know. You know, Chris Although, Mitchell, that like, is bizarre to me that there's so much heat on them for not playing him too many minutes. And then if a coach does play somebody too many, too many minutes, it's like, well, Bud oh, was the one that made that comment. Done. Bud made that comment though, that like, this is what we try to do. But like Chris Middleton played 48 minutes in game four. So clearly Bud knew that like, we need a guy to play more minutes. But so my question is, or are you sitting here and you're like, okay, we have the honest for one more year. We need to figure out what can we trade, you know, like Dante and, Eric Bledsoe and what can we do? What picks can we package for this specific year? Because if we win a title, it seems very unlikely that Giannis would leave. So like, I don't know. I I think the front office and Bud need to sit down and be like, okay, which mistakes were mine and which mistakes were yours, if that makes sense. But it doesn't, it doesn't seem to happen often in coaching circles. Like it's, I would say it's 80% front office issues. And and look, it's all working. Let's not complain. I mean, they made the conference finals last year. They won 60 games. I mean, I mean, they're really clearly. Yeah. It's a good team. And and for a franchise that's a small market, it's, you know, the best team in like 30 years or something. I mean, like they should appreciate this era. One thing Uh I will say, we were joking. We were talking about this a minute ago where Boston is plus 450 to win the title on Bovada and Miami is plus 500. However, Miami is actually plus, Miami is plus 110 to win the East and Boston is plus 130 to win the East. So Vegas thinks Miami is a bit better head to head with Boston, but they think Boston has a better chance against the West, which is quite an interesting thing to think about, I think. Well, and also that you mentioned the Giannis free agent destination. It would be next year, of course. If Miami and Toronto are the favorites, let's just say, if he's leaving. It's like Miami's long-term contract is Jimmy Butler. I don't really see them coexisting. Who reported that? Windhorse or Chris Haynes? Chris I know. Haynes? It was some like actual reporter. Mark Spears. Somebody, I saw it on Twitter. I just don't remember who yeah. reported it, but somebody, somebody but then said also, it, it has like actual credibility. But then like, does, does Giannis want to play with Jimmy Butler and share the ball? I don't know. Does he want to go play with Pascal Siakam? I don't really see a fit there unless they're just going to play him at the center. That might make sense, actually. Yeah. The, the one team that I would terrify me if I'm Milwaukee. I mean, maybe Golden State. Obviously. I don't know how many times you're going to bring up Dallas. Like, you're an old man screaming <laughs> in a cloud right now. Like, you keep doing this. I mean, Luca, Giannis. Why is Giannis like, going somewhere that he doesn't have the ball in his hands? That's why he's as valuable as he is. Is that, And that's why he has so Well, no, I mean, it would make well. more sense if, if Don, Doncic was, like, a little bit better of a shooter. Maybe but, he and, would be off the ball. I don't know. And they'd all be 25. I'm sorry. You, you know, it's <laughs> it's a pretty good situation. I would if love not, to, though, I think I would Milwaukee love for cubes to do it. It would be great. But what could Milwaukee do? Like I saw, like maybe can they get like a CJ McCollum in there? Yeah, it doesn't uh, make sense. I, I was looking. They were at this. rumored as a trade target for CP three. I I don't know how the math would make sense, yeah. but that that would that'd scare be, me a little bit. That'd be know. interesting, at least. He'd be good. Be... It's just like I don't. Do you want to? So basically, hand makes... the keys over to Chris Paul. All right, we'll go to the West in a quick second. I want to talk about this Chris Paul thing for a second. So Chris Paul makes eighty four million dollars over the next two years, right? Forty one this coming year and forty three the next year. I don't know if his contract is specifically eighty four million or if it's a percentage of the cap. I, I don't know that off the top of my head. Could look, but I'm being lazy. Why is Oklahoma City not 
like what what's the thought process here with like we're gonna move chris paul like yeah it'd be great to move him to philly like that'd be fun to watch him try to coexist with Embiid and ben simmons like sure great trade him to milwaukee whatever like but like what's the logic here taking on a 35 turning 36 year old 510 point guard who had a really good year but is also owed a ton of money like what teams are giving up real assets so if that's the case zan if like oklahoma city is determined to trade chris paul aren't they just taking back some of somebody else's waste like well that's what you would think but i think from sam pressy's point of view you'd say like we kind of overachieved here chris paul played extremely well given back expectations and he was healthy and maybe this is his peak not his peak value in his career but like the peak remaining value like we're selling high now and we might get basically off the contract. I mean, I don't think they're going to get a huge amount. You know, the the rumors are talking about are like Al Horford who's a negative contract, or right. Whatever. But that's a isn't that two more years left on that deal too? And like, yeah, you'd get a first round pick, but it's like their own first round pick, right? Like, what what's the deal with? Well, could they? I mean, the the three rumors. I forgot who said this rumor, but it was Milwaukee, I guess, Philly, which would be very interesting, and then of course the Knicks. Which would just be classic. Um, I guess they were just. I think they have the money to absorb him almost. Um, Knicks, the Knicks with CP3 and Mellow. Come on, don't you want to see that? I just don't know. Like I've argued with this. I've argued for this a bunch, right? That young teams need to win games. Like it's very imperative to their development. Like at a certain point, you have to say, like, all right, we're trying. So, like why would you get rid of Chris Paul if you really do think Shea Gilgis Alexander is, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they want to hand him the team and say, you're our point guard. You're going to get 20 points a game. Schroeder's coming off the bench. Lou Dort's our, you know, future Hall of Famer playing shooting guard. Um, So so the big one is like Gallinari's off the books, obviously, right? Like Gallinari's not coming back. Probably not because they're not going to re-sign him. But like you do have Chris Paul – you still have Steven Adams. You still have Schroeder. You still have SGA. Like, why can't you just figure it out for another year? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I, it's probably a waste of our time to talk about it. But my point is, like, why are they trading Chris Paul for Al Horford in a pick? Like, because if you're – we've talked about how crazy the West seems to be shaking out for next year whenever we do have basketball again, whether it's Christmas or November 15th, whatever it is. Like, we've talked about how wild, like, the West could be. So, like, if I'm Oklahoma City, are they just admitting, like, oh, we don't want to be the sixth seed anymore? Because if you didn't want that, you did it this year just for – SGA's it development? Worked, no, it kind of worked out in this sense. Like, I agree. I thought they were going to blow it up. It probably made sense to blow it up because they're getting all these picks in the future. But hey, it turns out to be kind of a bad draft anyway. So let's blow That's it true. up and tank for next year. Yeah. I mean, I wonder, I wonder honestly if the real question for Milwaukee is like, why don't you just sign Danilo Gallinari? Yeah. I mean, like, it's, we, we, like, is he going to make 30 million? Is he going to make 30 million a year for like three years because he's the only capable free agent on the market? Like, we've seen Drummond pick up his option. DeMar DeRozan's going to pick up his option. Like, what's going to be out there for teams to sign to actually get better? Is this the only guy? Gordon Hayward's picking up his option. Like, but it's funny that we always like slobber over Gallinari and like make him seem like a top 10 player, but he wasn't great in the. No, but he, he's good. You know, like a 6'10 guy shooting 40%, plays okay defense. Like, he could be a difference maker for and so he, many teams. And he can handle the ball a little bit. Like, you can put him in some pick and rolls. Like, he would – I mean, you'd, you'd have Giannis, him, and Chris Middleton, and you just have all these jumbo guys that can dribble. Like, that might be – with Brooke Lopez and Eric Bledsoe. Like, yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's interesting, though. I, I don't know that, like, 
we can count on Oklahoma City doing anything specific. I just think like Sam Presti is probably just like sitting in his lab, like just pulling beakers together to see like what's the right outcome for them. So, well, oh, let's talk so about let's, let's talk about, about former Oklahoma City guys. Yeah, let's do it. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I'm gonna make a really harsh take for you. So let's talk about Lakers Houston, which is tonight as well, tied one one. Great series. I mean, just such a weird clash of styles. And, you know, Houston wins game one easily. Lakers stomp them in game two. Stomp them? I don't know about stomp. Yeah. Well, they, they had it early and then they held on, I guess. Um, is Russell Westbrook, should he make the Hall of Fame? The historical win he's for a, the guy who is... He's, I'm not gonna, we're not going to talk about this. He's 100% a Hall of Famer. It doesn't matter what happens. No, 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 I'm not talking about this. I'm, trying to, I'm building up to a joke. Yeah. Is there anyone else <laughs> in NBA history... Who could prevent Kevin Durant from winning a title and could prevent James Harden from winning a title? Well, Russ isn't present, preventing James Harden. <laughs> I mean, talk about an all time like the iceberg sinking your team. The Durant thing is interesting. I, you know, it's funny. Like, uh, so I went back and actually watched this game twice because I wanted to see a couple things that happened. And uh, we argued, we didn't really argue, but like, we talked a good bit about uh, Houston and, and like this being a chess match, right? And so, Originally, I kind of was like, all right, game two, pretty good for the Lakers, but also like pretty good for Houston, right? Because Markeith Morris had a great day shooting the basketball, which we haven't really seen from him at all this season. He's so he started four for four. Yeah, and he made, he made them all in like very quick succession too. Like he made them on like seven possessions or something. So he goes four for four. Do you think it's the body four. switch? <laughs> yeah, could have been Do you Marcus think it was Marcus? Kyle Kuzma, six for seven from the field. And they got 10 points and nine assists from Rondo, five steals. He, he did play quite well. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, I don't know if these guys are going to play super great again. But also one of the things that I do think is that we talk about like Vogel starting big and, and then playing Dwight Howard in game one. And like he clearly couldn't play in the series. So Dwight Howard catches a DMP in game two. And then, but JaVale still plays what, like 16 minutes and or he something? Got hurt. I think he he got played hurt eight minutes. Like eight. Yeah. The game was over at halftime. It was over. Lakers looked great defensively, I thought. Like, the Rockets, you know, kind of really scattered a bit. Like, didn't really know, like, all right, are we shooting it? Are we driving it? Like, no one's taking mid-range jumpers, obviously, because that's what Houston does. Harden was the only guy really getting anything going because he did, you know, Scott Foster was ref in the game, so who the hell knew if he was going to get foul calls or not. But the game was over. Vogel goes to JaVale McGee again to start the second half, and literally the Rockets just get a bunch of open threes because, like, JaVale can't play. So – I thought Vogel, two good adjustments. He went away from JaVale. JaVale got hurt. I'm doing air quotes here because, like, who knows if the injury is real, but if it's – then whatever. He shouldn't play again. And then they did the little 2-2-1 thing to kind of show Harden a different look. And it wasn't like they doubled him every single time. The 2-2-1 zone was there part of the time. Then they doubled him in man a couple times, and I thought it was a great look. Harden only took nine shots or, – or, right? Nine shots in the game, I think. He took uh, 12. He, should, he took 12 shots. But, like – I thought Vogel did a really good job. And I think like that's where coaching is so important. It's like, all right, I looked at what we typically do in game one. It didn't work. Okay. So I made a couple quick tweaks. They worked. I did a couple things wrong. I got rid of them. I don't know if I feel super comfortable about like the Lakers winning in six or winning in five or winning in seven, whatever. I don't know. But I do think the Lakers figured out a good bit of what to do defensively to not have the Rockets just like absolutely carve them up. I think they did a very good job. And I think the other thing too is Russ is just not in a place right now, whether it's the injury, whether his career is just, you know, whether it's like just a decline, 
he's just not in a position right now to hurt teams when they guard him like the Lakers do. Like the Lakers just never closed out on him and he still wanted to shoot threes, which is, I mean, he's got to take a couple open shots, right? Like he made a couple in game one and that mattered. But like in the middle of the year, when teams wouldn't close out to him, Zan, like this dude just took three steps and just went up and tried to dunk the ball. Like now he doesn't try to dunk it at all. He's been a terrible finisher at the rim. Like, I don't know how injured he is. I don't know if it's like, hey, his career's really declining and, and he just can't come back from injuries. But like, if he can't take the space that they give him, it's going to be really hard for the Rockets because it's really hard to play Russell Westbrook in that situation. And when right. they don't play him, they're a lot better because Eric Gordon has been very good, really. Like Eric Gordon's been great without Russ on the floor. And I think that if I'm Houston, like, can you just play Russ 20 minutes a game? Cause you yeah, need the rebounding, but he does. Well, you need him off, you know, when hard's not in, it's helpful, but is it helpful? <laughs> is it it's helpful? scary. It's scary. Cause it's like, this was, is Westbrook. Go There's ahead, two sorry. theories. I was going to say, like we talked about, maybe Giannis isn't as good in the playoffs cause he can't shoot. Um, ben Simmons just got swept. Pascal Siakam's getting not exposed, but you know, getting, you know, flack. Um, Russell Westbrook, I, he's never been scary to me in the playoffs. Like I, he always seems like a liability because it's like it's, not true. It does slow down, it gets bogged down, and then he's jacking up bad shots. It's, it's fine to say that he's been a liability in the playoffs the last few years, but early in his career, like he he wasn't a liability. He was a liability in the sense that people are like, "Why are you shooting instead of Kevin Durant?" Right. Well, he that's was still I mean. quite a good think, player in the playoffs. I think Oklahoma City would have won a title if they had a, you know Mike Conley. We said that or whatever. Maybe. I mean, they were. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe. I, I think it's easy to say that. I think it's harder to to really in practice predict that. I mean, in Houston, by the way, is only like Houston's a five point dog tonight on Bovada. That seems about right. I, I don't. I don't expect that we'll see as good of a game from Anthony Davis tonight as we did in game two. I also didn't think he was as spectacular as people were were saying. He, he's a issue to me and I think it's gonna come up against the Clippers when they do eventually I would I would imagine the Lakers are gonna win this series like I think the Rockets are back to like plus 300 on Bovada in terms of their yeah it, it scared me just watching like pure eye test and like even like a jaundiced like not even an expert eye I'm just watching like looking at the game because I'm like Harden I think the formula and it's sad for Maury and you as Maury's you know stepson or whatever you are um because the formula makes sense. Like Harden is maybe the best player. The small ball thing totally makes sense. Covington is like thriving as like a rim protector. You know, like he's getting like two blocks a game. Like he's good enough in that role. PJ Tucker's good enough in his role. But then you look at the rest of the team and it's like Gordon, you know, gets hot and cold. He's kind of short and stocky and, and Westbrook's just not a good enough shooter. Like, I don't know. <laughs> can you win? Well, you, you can said, win playing small ball, but can you win playing like short and stocky ball? I don't know. You, I think you said, I think your exact quote was like Harden like, or uh, the Rockets. I just said Harden because it's so synonymous with him. But the Rockets, like correct idea, wrong players or right idea, wrong players. Right. Like even if you had like Harden and four Robert Covingtons, like I think they would win the title. Um, well, I mean, the issue's been like, honestly, like Russ has just been so bad, right? Like they've been really good and, with and PJ. they're missing like another guy. Like House is pretty good. House is good. House, House is good. But then Jeff and Green Matt, is hit or miss. Well, Green Rivers just was crazy. Rivers, like that was the thing, right? So, so the the Rockets roll guys in Game One made shots, and in Game Two, the Lakers roll guys made shots. So, I mean, because I think we know what we're going to get from James Harden. The Rockets are very, very good with PJ Tucker on the floor for whatever reason. 
you know, he's very, he's just really good. Like that is, he plays his balls off. Like he, he really guards Anthony Davis. I think Anthony Davis is just super comfortable taking jumpers against PJ Tucker. He doesn't want to play physical with him for some reason, but like you can tell, like when PJ Tucker's in foul trouble, like the Rockets have a really hard time defensively, like a much harder time. Covington has no chance one-on-one with LeBron, but the Rockets help D has been excellent in the playoffs. And I think that that should continue. I mean, I think for me, this is the most fun series, right? Because, like, Harden's been very good. LeBron has been good. Danton Davis has been good. P.J. Tucker's been really good. Eric Gordon's been good. And the problem's just been, like, Russ's net rating is, like, minus 30. No joke. Like, he's just that bad. Yeah, that, that is the difference. <laughs> and then also, shout out, look, like, if I'm – I'm happy to admit if I'm wrong, but I need to see it more than one game. But Rondo, again. <laughs> he played really well, game. yeah. I mean, like, yeah. look at his stats. 10 points, which is high. Nine assists one turnover and he had five steals, you know, and plus 28, like the whole bench unit, like that's they how they were great. Won. The bench was, the bench really was well. great. and I'm the guy saying Rondo shouldn't hardly play. In I mean, the playoffs. he made two mid range jumpers, right. Which are shots that we are going to live with a hundred percent of the time. If you're working and playing for Houston, he made an open three, but he was one for five from three and he missed a ton of threes in the middle of like Houston's big run. Five of his assists were legitimately like passing to the first open shooter and guys made shots, but those still count. I, I think that like we need to pump the brakes no, on I'm not, I'm not gonna, Rondo. Right. But I but mean, he was like, very good. It was not too. a good like moment for them because I, I hate on Rondo. He does well. Hate on Kuzma, six for seven. Hate on Markeith Morris, six for eight. They played well. Let's see it again, of course. But, um, you know, hey, that's going to happen. Like inconsistent players. Like, gonna, yeah. Like guys like whatever Rondo or you know um, Austin Rivers, like Austin Rivers can score thirty points one night. It's just a yeah. matter of like, can you do it consistently? And he had ten points uh, in game one. He made two big threes in the stretch where like they needed points, and you know it didn't happen this time. I, I think the Kuzma thing was interesting because his energy level was a lot better. Like he, a couple rebounds, like he had a tip dunk that was pretty important. Like he made an open three. Danny Green made some shots, which is very good to see. You know, shooting five for 12 from three in the series is, is a good thing. But I think like with, with me, if I'm watching this series and if I'm sitting here, if this is the rust we're going to get, like Houston's drawing dead, like they have no chance. If we get the rust that like when Anthony Davis steps out to him, like he can still blow by him and score it and, and find guy shots. I, I just think that that's yeah, a possibility, like but I just don't see that guy right now. Like it's on. Could, it's, could you convince Russ? If you're the coach, D'Antoni, who's now talking about getting an extension, like yeah, I guess he's won them back over. They probably should extend him. Like, who's no, better to coach this specific roster with these contracts, right? Like, you, you don't really have a choice at this point. Why would you bring in somebody else? Could you convince the team to say, look, Daniel House is playing well. Let's just surround Harden with, you know, Gordon and House and Covington and Tucker. Like, the guys who kind of fit you know, as supporting characters and then say, Russ, you're coming off the bench as a re- wrecking ball, you know, playing 25 minutes and just like go crazy. Doesn't um, do that anyway. <laughs> no, I know. But like, it just scares me. Like he just doesn't really. It sucks. Cause I'm telling you, it's, it sucks. Like this is, this is where like, as a coach, I think it's really hard. You, you have to look at your, your team and you have to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, damn, like for two months we had Russ pegged. Like we, we built the right team around him. Like we had him in the, perfect role he wasn't taking shots and I think he gets injured and now he's not as confident in his ability to get to the rim he's not as confident to out athletic everybody anymore and all of a sudden he's back to taking shots that are just not helpful for you and I think that that's because like think about it Zan like when Hart when when Russ is like at his best like 
He's posting up smaller guards. Like, he's wreaking havoc on the offensive glass. Like, he's making some mid-range jumpers, which I think is okay. It's okay to take some. Like, it's not a great shot, but it's fine to take some. You have to, at some point, get the defense to guard you. So, like, but he's not doing any of that, really. Like, we see that, like, three or four times a game. And then the rest of the game, we just kind of see him throwing the ball all over the court. Like, his, his right. You know, like, I kind of had this realization. I'm like, why do I like certain players? Um, and I was watching Zubak for the Clippers, who's become one of my favorite players. I'm like, why do I like Zubak so much? I think he's good, number one. But I'm like, I've never really seen him make a mistake. And he has a like, very limited role as well. Limited role. But like, I remember one of my old favorite players was Sean Livingston on Golden State. I'm like, I've never seen him make a bad decision. He like plays so in control. Yeah. And the guys I hate are the guys who are out of control, like Westbrook sometimes or Dennis Schroeder sometimes or <laughs> yeah. Austin Rivers or, you know, like, but those guys can be effective, you know, like Jordan Clarkson was great as a six man, you know, Schroeder's yeah. been really good as a six man. Like, I'm not saying that's the long-term solution for Westbrook, but I think he would, he would be more effective in this series, just like coming off the bench and outplaying Rondo who played well, you know? Yeah. And they could both just guard each other from 10 feet away. And that's the thing, like Rondo, and again, there is no world where Rondo is a better player than Russell Westbrook right now, but like Rondo is a better passer than Russell Westbrook. So when guys give him tons of space, one thing he's been very good at doing in his career is he's used that eye line to be able to find guys shots or take the space, get to the rim and find somebody a shot. Like he knows like, all right, I'm not a great finisher. I'm not a great shooter. I shouldn't do this, but he's able to, he's able to find other players. Now, again, like I said, LeBron was fantastic down the stretch. Scott Foster changed the game. I thought at the end of the third quarter with there, there was a block charge call on Russ where he kind of was like losing the ball, trying to get rid of it. And Rondo slid in late. It was called a block on the floor would have been free throws for the Rockets. And, uh, they went to review it. Right. So they go to review. I want to talk about Jeff Van Gundy for a second. They go to review. Review takes 10 minutes, right? They end up changing it, but they don't change it to a charge. They change it to Russ lost the ball. So then it's a loose ball foul. So not only was it Russ's fifth foul with like a minute to go in the third quarter, but then Rondo gets to shoot free throws. He goes one for two. Then D'Antoni keeps Russ in the game, which was a huge mistake because he just gave up two straight drives to the rim. LeBron had a drive to the rim, and then somebody else did that in the second half. I can't remember who. Maybe maybe Kyle Kuzma just went right to the rim because, like, Russ didn't want to foul because it was his fifth foul. And all of a sudden, like, the Rockets, who had, like, a five-point lead, you know, it's down to, it's down to one, and, like, the game's changed because now you're playing Russ with five fouls, and he doesn't want to foul. And I thought it was, like, really embarrassing to see a call that was, first of all, just a bang-bang play to begin with, and then, like, we thought we had enough evidence to make it a loose ball foul when, like, he – it just, to me, I think the block charge calls, like, it's just such a killer, right? Because you go to the rim – you go to the monitor, and this happened in, I believe – this happened in the, uh, in the uh, Raptors-Celtics game, right? Or maybe it was the Bucks game. I don't remember. But, like, Jeff and Gunny was talking about this. Like, they go to the monitor. They're reviewing an out-of-bounds call, and they see that it was very clearly a foul and that it should have been a foul. But because they didn't call a foul on the floor, you have to just rule who it's off of. So it ended up – it was the Bucks game. It ends up being off Jimmy Butler. But, like, if we're going to go to the monitors, then why can't yeah. we just get the call exactly right? No, I know. They should do that, obviously. I mean, I don't know why they don't. I, I don't really like reviews that much anyway. It, but it, they, it, Like, the letter of the rule, right, is just that, like – it's the same thing with the NFL, right? You challenge one specific thing. And if you don't challenge the right thing, then like you just lose the challenge. And it's like, if we're going to go to the monitor and you're an official and you can see that you made a mistake, like you should be able to say like, all right, I screwed this up. It sucks. 
other teams would be mad, but like, why, why are we doing this? Why are reviews three and a half minutes? If like, we can't perfectly get the call right. And then also why are we changing calls on the floor? Because like, we can see that somebody lost the ball, like half a second before you made the call that you were, you were given. Like, it just seems like now reviews are just so erratic to me that like, it's hard they, to, it's hard to forever, you know, like, like different angles. You might not get a firm conclusion. I don't really care about reviews. I, I like missed calls to me are like part of the game. They're part of the game. They're yeah. part of the game. I, uh, I just but, think it's it's wild because like the NBA doesn't do, you know, the NFL has like harped for years and years and years. Like if we don't have enough evidence, like if there's not enough evidence, the call on the field stands. But like the NBA doesn't do that, right? Like the NBA is like they're looking and like they they take a million views. Like to me, I think, and again, I don't want to be too much Jeff Van Gundy here, but like I think if you're gonna have reviews, one if you win your review, you should keep getting challenges. There's no reason why you should lose your challenge in the second quarter because you got one right. And then you I don't mean, have that's one. What the, yeah. That's the NFL does. If you get both right, you get, you get another. And so like, I think I don't understand why. Cause it's, it's, it's detrimental to like have a terrible call go against you in the second quarter, but then you think you need to like save it. Cause you need to have it in the fourth quarter. Like, I would almost go the other way. I'm like, no challenges. Let's just that's that's kind of what I think is just like yeah. no challenges. None of this, like we can go to the circle to see if we got a block charge call, right? Like you get paid a lot of money. You're reviewed very frequently as an official, like just get the freaking calls, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's fine. Like it's the human. Well, I would say like, fine. you know, it's like sort of like uh, spoiled players. Like, <laughs> if I, like I get it complaining about every call and they complain even when they got the call, right? It's just like, you're going to miss a call. Sorry. You it know, happens. you're running around like a ref, you know, with these guys who are running 80 miles an hour. Like you're not going to see everything perfectly. It's, it's, it's also perfect like, science. It's also stunning. And again, like this is, this is kind of funny. And I, I've been a bitter LeBron guy for a long time, but like we've watched refs tee guys up for like waving their arms in the air, like clapping their hands. Like we've watched that happen the entire time in the bubble. And like LeBron just gets like total carte blanche to do whatever he wants. Like officials just like, and there's that reputation, like Marcus seems, Morris got thrown out because he's he's a bad guy. Yeah, like it's crazy. Like LeBron just like undresses officials, and guys are just like they just let it happen. And it's like we watch CP3 get attacking Game Six in a game that they were losing. They end up winning, but they teed up Chris Paul. Like, and you're telling me like LeBron's I think I, I, I want like, more. Like I think refs should get more slack. Like. How many times do we I say agree Beth missed the call because we saw it in slow motion replay 10 it's, times? You know, like how hard these are, would it these are the do? best athletes in the world playing at super high speeds. The court is so small and these guys get tons of calls right. That's why I think like the review situation is just, it's just, it's just poor. Like I think it needs to be tweaked if we're going to have it. But all right, end of Rockets, wait, Lakers, wait, like I said, I think wait, really yeah, one last thing about Westbrook that scares me, not to harp on hating Westbrook. I do, do think he's going to bounce. He has, he's, he played well this year. Yeah. As you mentioned, like he, it kind of worked more than not. It definitely um, worked. It definitely, yeah. the last two and a half months of the season, the Rockets were very, very good. And he was quite good, but it scares you. Like the two conclusions are he's not as good in the playoffs because he can't shoot in half court or he can't be that effective when he's, you know, 80% health. Yeah. And if that's true, he can't be effective when he's not like athletically dominant. And that's going to happen. Terrifies you. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're paying him 41 million next year, 44 million and 47 million. He makes over the next, these four years, he makes slightly more than James Harden. And if you're James Harden, wouldn't you be pissed about that? Like how much better you are than Westbrook? I don't think so. I think, I think like Harden is like Westbrook's, I think like Westbrook is like Harden's bodyguard. Like, I think that's how he feels about it. I think he, 
I think there are times when he's like, damn, I wish Russ would make this shot. But I think like Harden needs that guy. Just but like I think, think. Do you think he needs to pay him the same amount? <laughs> I mean, it's not his choice. He didn't sign him to a contract. <laughs> but I also think it's this, it's very similar to like Anthony Davis and LeBron for me right now. Because like, I think there's a credible argument that Except Anthony one Davis guy's bad. <laughs> is, a, is a better. Well, like Russ is a good NBA player. Like, yeah, there are some issues. And again, right now, I think he's just not healthy. I think you can tell. Like, I, I think just in, just in the sense that like, there's been a couple times where like he's blown by dudes. And, like, it would just be a dunk, and instead he's tried to, like, lay it up. And it's like, what, what's going on? Like, are you not feeling, like, explosive enough to, like, dunk like you would? Or are you not feeling explosive enough to have those kind of, like, explosive non-touch finishes? Like, he has a ton of power finishes, and we haven't seen any of those. So that, to me, kind of signals that he's not healthy. But yeah, I well, it's, just, it's just weird. Like, and I give Stan Presti credit. You know, politically, it must be tough to trade Russell Westbrook. But also... He signed him to the contract. You give him Sam Presti credit for that? No, I'm just saying, like, you know, when they traded for CP3, like, the logic was CP3 is a toxic asset over the hill. Are they going to buy him out? Are they going to pay 30 They were never going to buy him out. They were never, well, that, that was, was never a topic that I heard on the rumor mill. And, and I'm like, and it turns out right now, I think he has more trade value than Westbrook. Yeah, Westbrook uh, has slightly. I mean, zero both, trade value. Both minor, but... And he's aging better, as you could probably predict. And he's a few, obviously a few years older anyway. And I think Westbrook will be fine. It's just, it just scares me from big picture Rockets. Harden's amazing. Team makes total sense. But if you were doing this strategy, would you pay $40 million for this guard? You, can't you, shoot? you wouldn't. Would you have a thin team that doesn't have, like, you know, wouldn't you just pay? Like, if you thought Harden was, like, the best player in the world... Wouldn't you just surround him with like six pretty good players? For it doesn't. It, it doesn't work like that, though. Like the, you know what I mean. Like I understand exactly what you're saying. Like if you could just get that forty million back, could you just pay, you know, three guys that forty million that would fit around Harden? And it just it doesn't work that way. And also, like I said, like the, you you got to remember, like Westbrook was very integral to their success in this small ball system when they first implemented it. Right when they traded Capella, like. They did that because of Russ, what Russ brings to the table as both like a rebounder and as a guy that can play and guard multiple positions. Although, like I said, off the ball, he's, he's not been great. I, like well, I said, so what's I, your I prediction? Think, like looking forward, forget like we tend to do too much team building, but like it's going to be game three tonight. I think the Rockets are going to win one of the next two. I think, I think the they're going to lose Lakers, in six. You think they're going to lose in six? Yeah, because I, I think I the Lakers bench will have a bad game. Yeah, I, I just think it's natural that like good teams win some games. You know, like it was... Everyone was kind of like, all right, and this was an easy transition, I think. Like, everyone was just like, all right, the Nuggets are, like, just done. Like, they're just toast. They played terrible in game one. They come back and they win game two. They look great. And then they really just gave away game three, I thought, in uh, on Monday night in a situation where they could have gone up 2-1 against a team that's very clearly better than them, right? Like, the Clippers right. are – the Clippers currently have it was best. nine. The Denver was, you know, written off for dead. This is a bad bet. Speaking of Bovada, you know, like, if you win a bet by one, you, you shouldn't feel proud. I, I saw the Clippers game two were favored by 10. Yeah, I'm like, nine. this seems like a way extreme overreaction to game one. Meanwhile, Tyler Laurie's <laughs> probably. They were, they were favored. What are you talking about? They were favored by like, they were favored by seven and a half in game one. So it's not like, and, and what do you think they're favored at for game three? What were they favored at for game three? Yeah. I would say six and a half. They were eight point favorites in game three. Like the market doesn't adjust because I mean sometimes it does, but like that's but not Tyler, Tyler. Oh, I got done. I got nut I got clippers minus nine. Get out of here. That was a terrible bet. They ended up losing by you, nine. You you have no idea if it was a good or bad bet though. Like they lost what, what the bet, which happens. Well they lost they lost the bet, but like that doesn't mean 
like you're going to lose bets, you know, like the best betters, like they win 54% of the time, right? Like that's what you do. Like you're going to lose bets, but like you have to take the information that you're given, right? Like I could call that one. I'm sorry. Well, you, uh, I mean, it's, it's like, I just don't think like it's a situation where you look at, at different things and you decide like, okay. And to me, like the reason I thought it was bad was that the nuggets just were so dead. Like they just looked so listless in game one. And so like, the Clippers didn't play a ton. And then like Kawhi had a bad game. And so like, obviously people who came back and bet the Clippers in game three, like when, when Denver looked very, very good because like Jokic is just so damn good. Like, but like, you don't expect Kawhi to have two bad games in a row and he didn't and they covered. So like, no, yeah. Well, Denver like written off. They, I agree. They did look exhausted. And then they come back, win game two, they were up 97, 90 in game three. And I was like, shocked. I'm like, I cannot believe the Clippers are going to lose. I thought the Clippers are the best team. And then the Clippers like turned on the gas and won. They should have. They should have freaking won. Uh, one of the things, like, okay, so the Clippers are the Clippers are minus seven and a half on the ladder for Game Four, by the way. So it's not like we're we're. I, I don't know what you think is a good and bad bet based on what you've seen, but it's not like we're not seeing a ton of like crazy overreactions or like uh, we're not like all of a sudden it's like a four point spread. Like this is like the Clippers are just better than them, right? But like last last night, Monday night, right? Jamal Murray is just, just an interesting character to me because like the playmaking is just not there right? you, you just need him to make shots. And when he makes shots, then guys close out harder on him and other players are open. But like in the fourth quarter, like he's just not able to get his teammates shots if he's not making shots. And so against a team like the Clippers where like Paul George is a very good defender. And I think we've started to see that again. And Kawhi is obviously Kawhi Leonard. And then Marcus Morris is tough to play against. And Patrick Beverly is just an absolute pest. Like, I just don't like, this is where, like, if you love Jamal Murray and you're like, he's going to be a top 10 player. Like this is where to me, like there's a huge disconnect. He just can't get guys shots. And then because he has the ball a ton, you don't have the ball in Jokic's hands. And Jokic is the only dude that gets everybody great shots including himself. And I get it. He's tired. Like he's out of shape, whatever. But like, I just thought the fourth quarter was such a microcosm of why I can't buy Denver as like a true, true title contender. And it's that to me, Jamal Murray hasn't taken that next step as a playmaker. And so when he's not making shots and the ball's out of Jokic's hands, I just feel terrible about Denver's ability to score late in games. And that's exactly what happened. And I don't want to say like I was right or wrong about it. Like I just feel that way about them. And it, it no, bore itself out in game three. Denver like flashes and like yeah. Murray looks great. And then, you know, Michael Porter like shows a glimpse where like he's unguardable, you know, and then you can he's see gonna him score, score He's going to score a lot of points in the NBA, Michael yeah. Porter. But is and, he going to be a good NBA player? I don't know. There is still well, a lot about him. To like, you know, he's fa- famously a vegan, and like he's probably like a terrible advertisement for the vegan community because he looks weak <laughs> and he looks skinny and like needs a few more Impossible Burgers in his diet, maybe. Um, but he does have potential, you know. And but I like I talking about overreaction. I think it was after Game One, or maybe after the Dallas series. Um, I told you, I'm like, I don't think the Clippers are going to lose more than a game or two in any series. Yeah, you I predicted they would lose it. three more games the rest of the playoffs. I just think they're clearly the best roster. And especially with Beverly back and then Harrell's working his way back to shape. But I'm like, when they play that big lineup, I've said it a few times, I just love Zubak. I love playing giant wings. I'm like, I think they're the best starting lineup. And then you have the sixth man of the year and then another guy off the bench who won sixth man of the year. I mean, and they can go big, they can go small. I mean, they can do everything. And I think it's going to be very hard to beat them four yeah, times. It feels like Trez is playing himself back into better shape. He was quite good on Monday night. I thought he, he definitely bothers Jokic a little bit. His activity level's good. 
For some reason, they just don't run more pick and rolls with him, which I think is odd. Zubak is good. Like, he's a good player. I don't think their starting lineup is any better or worse. Like, if they started Trez, I think their starting lineup would be better. But obviously, Trez's role is specific, and the team itself may be better with Trez. As the but it's like, how many teams can, like, match up with Jokic, and then next round, maybe... Well, I don't know about... Ben Zubak can play against the Rockets. You know, I mean, like... Jokic did... Jokic did... Jokic did have 32, 12, and 8. So, well, I mean, also, Zubak is fouled out with a bogus call, too. That was a oh. terrible That was a terrible call, for sure. But, like, right. I, it's just, to me, I don't know, man. Like, the Clippers... The, the chemistry is not perfect, but you know what I think actually is helpful? Maybe this is reading too much into it. Um, Montrez won sixth man of the year, and after Lou won it last year. And I actually think that's important, because, like, when you're, you know... This whole year, I'm like, are they? How's the chemistry? You know, it used to be their team, and now you have, you know, now they're sidekicks. And sometimes you can feel marginalized and frustrated with that role, unless you get like accolades for it. Like I always thought, like Draymond in, in Golden State, you know, when KD came, he really took a lesser role offensively. But one he's like, I'm, player of the year, one yeah, year, yeah. But he can campaign for it. He's like, that's my role. That's how I'm going to get a claim. I'm going to be defensive player of the year, and he won it. And same with Montrez and Lou, like them each winning six man of the year gives them some, you know, credit. And, they, you know, it's like they got their trophy and they can feel good about their role on the team. Yeah. I, I don't know that like the, so the Clippers are the title favorites on Bovada right now. I'm, I'm fairly certain. What is it? It's they're plus plus one seventy five. Lakers are, plus I, I mean that I wouldn't bet that that's, that's pretty low. <laughs> I mean, the Lakers are plus, I think the Lakers I just saw were plus two twenty five. That seems fair to me. It seems like a little bit of a large gap. My yeah. problem with the Clippers, like as much as I thought the Clippers, the, here, yeah. here, real quick, That's here's right. my problem with the Clippers. They probably are the best roster. Uh, their ability to match up with the Lakers is is better than anyone's, right? Because they do have multiple defenders they can throw at LeBron. And like I've said multiple times, like Marcus Morris is a good defender on LeBron. Like he does an okay job. He also can guard Anthony Davis. Like to me, I don't know if the Clippers' focus level is like where it is, where it needs to be to just roll through the playoffs, right? I'm not saying that they won't win the title. I'm not saying, but you're certainly not, I don't think, going to be correct. And it's not that they can't do it. It's just that, like, this is such a weird team. Like, they, they have so many kind of, like, mercenary guys, too, right, that haven't played together a long time. Like, Doc is not doing an amazing job coaching them. Like, they just sort of – their offensive scheme is very weird. Kawhi ends up with so many, like, just solo jumpers, which is fine if he's making them. He wasn't in game three, and they almost they won in spite of him having a pretty poor offensive game. Like, I just think that – to me, like, I don't think the Clippers are good enough to just roll over other good teams, right? I think no, the Denver is very clearly a tier below. Like, if you ask me right now, like, okay, let's rank the teams left, not including the Clippers. So let's just say the Clippers are one. Like, I would rank some form of, like, Rockets, Celtics, Heat, Raptors, uh, Lakers, right? So those five teams, I don't think the Clippers are good enough to just roll over any of those teams and just beat them in five. I don't right. see it. No, no, I agree. Like, when I say they're clearly the best team, I, I, you know – they're like an eight and a half out of 10 and the other teams are like seven and a half or whatever. So it's yeah, like that's, a fair, that, that's fair. That's fair. Cause it's like, we're so used to golden state, like being clearly the best team and they go like 16 and one in the playoffs. I mean, like yeah. it's just like when they like, locked, they're so much better than everybody. when they locked in in like, in like 2018 or whatever, like the second yeah. year of Kevin Durant, like that team was just absurd. Like they, they just were like, or no, I'm sorry, the first year of Kevin Durant. They just yeah, were that's so, the year they went 16-1. and one, They were just so good. And I understand, like, the Kawhi injury. Like, I get it. But, like, all of a sudden, it was like they just, they're just they just not losing, right? Like, they're just not. And then we saw some of the focus issues the, the second year with KD where they 
you know, they lost, the, they lost some games to the Clippers too last year when they should have been fine. And it was just like, you could see that like, it's not a team that's just a, the, the Terminator, right? Like there's just not a lot of teams like that. And if you ask me which team was going to be the most likely to be that way, the only team I think that's actually playing as well as they can conceivably play right now is Miami. That's the only team that I think is doing that. And they're obviously not good enough to do it, but they're the one team I think that's like totally locked in like one team, one goal, all that bullshit. You know what I mean? Like they, they really are, I think. Yeah. And they're not that far away from like, you know, these teams, as you mentioned, like the, you know, we can nitpick the tiers, but like, they're all pretty good teams. They're pretty close. This is, yeah. I feel pretty comfortable that this is the eight best teams in the NBA. Maybe Denver's not like maybe Oklahoma city or Utah is better, but like maybe Philly at full strength, probably not. But like, no, I think, I think it's fair to say this is pretty reasonably to be the eight best teams in the NBA. I think I, I, you know, as as crazy as the bubble's been, like I haven't thought one time that the team that wins the title will not have won a real NBA title. Although you know what? I would say this though. I, I agree with that in general. The only two teams, maybe Denver, maybe Toronto are not quite as good. Um, Toronto's really good man like they're really good but like we always say like will this feel like a real title and I think it will presuming it kind of goes the way you expect but like what if like Denver beats Miami in the title and then it would start to feel do you think do you think this will be the last thing and then we'll we'll get out of here because again I I think we're going to record on I think we're going to only have two days in between recording so don't want to over talk but like do you think Milwaukee would that series would be different if they got to play two games at the fist serve forum. They wouldn't go down 0-2, you'd think. I mean, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen that home court advantage doesn't really matter, and obviously, like, the travel is somewhat important, and maybe they get an extra day of rest in between. You know, they try to go every other day even with the travel days, but, like, I don't know. I mean, that's the one thing that, like, if I was a fan of another team or I was a fan of the Bucks, I was a fan of somebody else, whatever, like, and my team lost, like, that's a loud arena, right? Like that's a, it, it, it's just bizarrely, it would be embarrassing. That's been the storyline of the playoffs. It's been pretty chalky. And then you, maybe you thought Miami would give Milwaukee a tough time. Maybe you thought it would go to seven. Maybe you thought they'd win in seven. If they lose four one, I mean, that is the most shocking. It, that seems, yeah, very stunning. Right. Cause I think I said this before. I don't know if I said this on the show or not, but like, if you picked, if you gave me like a million different outcomes of this playoffs, I think, Milwaukee being swept would be like the last one I would have picked, right? Like just by yeah. even by anybody being swept by anybody. It it is shocking. It's one of those like gut punch, like oh my god, this is actually happening. Like yeah, like it reminds me of like when Dallas beat the Lakers with Dirk and they just like swept them. You're like whoa, that was sudden and unexpected. Yeah, and it's like you. It almost it feels like it's happening slow, but it's like really not. And like I said, this Bucks series could be it could be three one the other way. Honestly, like that that's how close I think this series is. I think people are like panicking and being like oh, there's fatal flaws with the Bucs. And I think every single team from a roster standpoint, with the exception of the Clippers, have a real issue. And even the Clippers, maybe, like, it's going to be funny, I think, for Lakers fans. Like, let's just assume we're going to get Lakers-Clippers. And I think the Clippers I want to see it. I mean, as fun as the well, Houston Lakers is, like, Lakers-Clippers would feel like an old school. Yeah. And I think it's, it's going to be... star battle. Like, here's your built-in excuse, right? Like, Avery Bradley, like, very much matters for the Clippers having to guard like a Harden or an Eric Gordon or like, I don't even know, like even guarding like a small guarding Lou Williams, like that's something they really need and they don't have. Right. So like when the Clippers do eventually, let's say the Clippers beat the Lakers in six or seven, like it's going to be agonizing to hear one LeBron talk about not being in full strength and like, yeah, we pulled together. Like we tried to find a way, but you know, like sometimes things just don't go your way, which is right, but it's going to be just agonizing to hear it because 
Avery Bradley would make a difference for this uh, Lakers. Yeah, team. we don't hear some people are making excuses more. Like Denver, we don't hear a lot about like Will Barton hasn't played. He's pretty good. Yeah, and they probably could use him. And then you know, like there are guys like Gordon Hayward. We haven't. Boston's not making excuses. They're going Boston, on without him. Boston is a Boston fans are very annoying. Like very very annoying. And like Marcus Smart's kind of annoying, but like Boston plays super hard. Like likable dudes. Like Brad Stevens is likable. Like it's it's annoying. I don't think they can win a title. But let me real quick. Last thing before we go. Tell me without looking what Gary Harris is shooting both from the field and from three in the Clippers series. How many games has he played? Only a couple, he's, right? He's played three games in those series. Oh, three. He's played all three. Yeah. I don't know. He's usually, he's usually around 33%. I'll say 25%. No, he's shooting 47% from the field uh, and 46% from three. Now, do Jamal Murray, 37% from the field and 30% from three. So our Gary Harris is a liability thing is not happening so far. So it's been fun. Like, I'm glad that Denver got off the mat. 25%. I mean, it's Maybe. just like when, when it's like a sustained thing like that, like he hasn't shot well in two years. I'm not worried about two games. All right, predictions. Predictions for predictions for tonight. Bucks. I'll give you predictions across the board. I'll say, no, no, just do just do tonight because we, okay. we just so Bucks Heat is the first game. What do you got? Oh, man, and without knowing, let's say Giannis. If Giannis doesn't play, I think the Milwaukee will put up a fight but lose in like by four or five. If Giannis plays, you, maybe they win a game and then lose the next game. I just don't see him being one hundred percent. So it's hard to pick them to come back. All right, I'm going to pick the Bucks tonight regardless, and then wow. I am going to pick, oh, my God, DeAndre Hopkins, two years, $54 million. That's a lot of money. And then I am going to pick, I feel like the Lakers schematically kind of got over the hump last game, and I'm going to pick the Lakers in game three tonight while rooting very heavily in my James Harden, half James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Rockets authentic jersey. I think I'm going to pick – Rockets to win this one. I just think the Rockets are going to win one of the next two and set up a huge game five. That'd be I awesome. Think they'll win tonight. I think that'd be, be, be really awesome. Also, uh, what a shock. The Charlotte Hornets are trying to find a trade partner for Nick Batum, but the Charlotte Observer says that they're going to have a hard time finding it. <laughs> anyway, email the show at xandrickelson at gmail.com. He is Zan underscore Ellison on Twitter and Reddit. And uh, Zan, as always, it's Good a pleasure. Game. Looking forward to it, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news. 